You know, the, uh, uh, where, where is, is Andy here? There he is. Andy and Bobby have been married 65 years today. That would give most church members a reason to skip tonight to celebrate that, wouldn't they? But uh, they got married when Bobby was four. Is that correct, Bobby? But they, and Andy's birthday was yesterday. Andy, you combined those, didn't you? That's pretty smart thinking because it's easy to remember that. Um, I wish my wife was born closer to my anniversary. That would have probably saved some problems this year. But anyway, moving forward. You know, the, the, the last scene or the last act of a book or a play or, or a movie is crucial, isn't it? It can make it. Or it can break it. And I was thinking this afternoon, what is a movie most of us are familiar with that would cover the age span in here? And I thought The Wizard of Oz. How many of you have seen The Wizard of Oz? Has everybody in here seen The Wizard of Oz? You know, when I was a kid, they showed it every year on NBC on Sunday night. Now, the problem was my parents believed you went to church on Sunday night and that it would be compromising the gospel to skip one Sunday night to stay home like the other good Baptist kids were doing uh, and watch The Wizard of Oz. So I was cheated and stunted in my childhood, but I did get to watch The Wizard of Oz when I was older. You know, it ends, uh, if you remember, and you've probably seen it 50 times, so you don't remember this now, but you know how it ends. Uh, she wakes up, and it's all been a dream, hasn't it? Uh, she, she really wasn't chasing The Wizard of Oz with a, a tin man and a, a cowardly lion, and, and those characters were actually people who were in her life. It, it has a memorable ending to uh, obviously what was a a great story. Well, in Acts chapter 1 tonight, in verse 6 through 11, we're going to look at the last act of Jesus' physical life here on this earth. The last act, the last scene of Jesus' life. And and I want to tell you, uh, I think it's extremely memorable and extremely important for us. If you were here last week, a quick review if you weren't. The book of Luke, God chose to write through Luke. Luke had written the gospel of of what? Of Frank, Pete, Mark, of Luke. There you go. And and then he continued the story from Jesus' biography to the, the biography or the story of really the first 35 years, 30, 35 years of the church. So it's a continuation. I mentioned this last week. Sometime you ought to read Luke and then pick it right up with Acts because they, they, they obviously go hand in glove. And Luke was a Greek physician, a detailed person, a person very intelligent, a smart person. Great story. So let's look at the last act of Jesus' life. So let's begin with this. Jesus' final words which are seen here or heard here, are huge. Would you agree that the last words Jesus Christ would say would be significant? I mean, because everything Jesus did was significant. Jesus knew he was leaving. And, and folks, in, in the human sense, I mean, if you knew you were fixing to, and you're not, I hate to tell you, you're not going to ascend on a cloud probably tonight from, from a, a mountain here in Ruston. If, if this is your last night and you're going to glory, uh, you, you're, you're going through the funeral home eventually, right? That's not how Jesus went. Jesus knew he was going. If you knew it was your last time here and you had one thing to say, you'd say something significant, I hope, wouldn't you? Uh, you, you know, you'd say something important. Some famous last words. Joan Crawford was a famous actress, and I think we have a picture of Joan Crawford. And uh, I, I, I don't think Joan was a, a committed Christian because 
when, 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 when her last words that were recorded, her housekeeper was praying for her. And Joan Crawford supposedly, the last thing she said is, don't you ask God to help me now. And I thought, I bet five minutes after that, she was wishing somebody was asking God to help her. Now, can you imagine that? How many of you know who Nostradamus was? Nostradamus, y'all don't know who Nostradamus was? The famous procrastinator, prognosticator, yes. There's many famous procrastinators in this room this evening. He was a prognosticator, future predictor. And supposedly his last words were, he goes, by sunrise tomorrow, I will not be here. And he was dead in the morning. So his last prediction, we know for certain, came true. What were Jesus' last words? Well, we often think they were simply the Great Commission, but, but that was part of it. Here's the first thing that we have of Jesus' last words. Don't get sidetracked by theological rabbits. Don't get sidetracked by theological rabbits. We, when you say a rabbit, chasing a rabbit, everybody in here is familiar with that. That's a, a secondary idea, maybe a fun idea or or uh, an interesting idea, but a lot of times it's not anything to do with the subject, right? Uh, it's, it's a secondary issue. In verse 6, it says, so, now this is, this is the last moments with Jesus here on earth. When the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking, repeatedly they kept asking, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore our kingdom? Now, They continued, is what this said. They had been doing this before the the death and and crucifixion and the resurrection. They're continuing to do this. To use our terms, they're talking about the the end of times and God coming back to reign and rule. But they were still thinking in a Jewish political way. They were still wanting Jesus to overthrow the Roman government and to set up the Jewish reign and the rule. And, And Jesus didn't correct them here and say, look, guys, in the end, it's going to be a lot bigger than that. And, and, and that's not the main reason I came. I came for a heavenly kingdom and a heavenly rule, which someday will be, uh, which will be total and will be here on this earth. But look what he says in verse 7. Go read Tim LaHaye's latest book, and you will know when... No, he doesn't say that, does he? Thank you, someone, for laughing. Verse 7, he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. Dates and times, the times, the seasons, and the specific dates. They are not for you to know. Now, oftentimes when we think about Jesus' last words, we jump straight to the Great Commission, which we'll see in a moment. But isn't it interesting that Jesus' last words before the Great Commission were this. Guys, the second coming is not a theological rabbit. We're going to talk about it more in a moment. Trying to fix a date and figure it all out becomes a theological rabbit. It becomes something people chase and pursue, sometimes as a hobby, sometimes for fun, but it becomes a secondary, it can become almost a silly issue. Isn't it interesting here, Jesus said, you want to know when I'm coming back and and when everything's going to be settled? That's not for you to know. That's not for you to have an idea uh, as far as a specific date. I had a professor in graduate school, and I don't think he was telling a story. He had gone to the same college, Mary and Clayton and I went to Union University. But he had to be 90 or 100 when I had him in the 80s, so I'm guessing this was pre-Civil War when he was at Union. But he talked about, you notice when you're 20 or 30, everybody has gray hair, looks 90, don't they? So I just wonder, what do kids think when they see me? But uh, I heard you, Luke. 
But he said, literally, there was a class at Union, I guess it was probably in the 30s, and a professor was notoriously hard, and he was notorious for chasing rabbits. And so he, one semester, almost everybody in the class failed. And they had to take the class over again the next semester. The professor walked in the first day of class, and sitting on the front row was a 20-year-old college student who had been in that class the previous semester sitting with his shotgun. Well, you know, if that happened today, they'd call SWAT, the FBI, Homeland Security, and they probably should, shouldn't they? But back in the 1930s, they just thought maybe he's going hunting or something after class. And so he said, son, why do you have your shotgun? He said, because if you start chasing those rabbits again this year, I'm going to shoot them so, <laughs> so we can stick to the sub. He didn't say shoot the professor, shoot the rabbits. I thought it was funny. But, folks, it's big business. It's big business to try to figure out when Jesus is coming back. Big business. Here's the only problem. Matthew 24, 36. Read this out loud with me. This is Jesus talking. However, you know, this is funny. I, I'm not making this up. I have, I have talked to people before, and I'll tell them that verse, and they'll look at me and go, but, but, there's no but to it. If Jesus doesn't know, you don't know. Amen. Amen. I don't mean to humble you, but I got to humble you. If Jesus didn't know that God has not whispered it to you, correct amendo. I know that may hurt your feelings, but, but that is absolutely the truth. I had another wonderful professor who used to say, I will take Jesus' view, and if he didn't know, neither do I. And I think it's neat. Part of Jesus' last words were, guys, don't chase theological rabbits. Here's the second part of Jesus' last word. Seek to win the world to Christ. Seek to win the world to me. That's what you need to be about. They wanted to know, Jesus, when are you going to come and, and overthrow the Romans and set the Jews back in charge? We would say it, 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 they want to know when the end was coming, the second coming. I want to know when it is too, but here's what Jesus said. He said, don't worry about that. That's not for you to worry about. Look in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Remember, we talked about last week, going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's fixing to come on all of them. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit came on you. And when you got the Holy Spirit and you let the Holy Spirit loose in you, you have power. Isn't that great? So I want to have power. Get the Holy Spirit and turn him loose in your life. That's how we have power. That's how we have power. And you will be my witnesses, telling people everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here's some interesting words here. The word witness means one who remembers or one who has information. It's an experiential knowledge. Listen, you, you know why some people don't share Christ? They never had an experience with Christ. See, I believe this with all my heart. If you've experienced Christ, you want to tell people about him. A witness is someone who is speaking from experience. Listen, if you got called to the, the courthouse to be a witness in court, the judge and the lawyers, they don't want to hear your opinion. They don't want to hear you say, I feel this way. They don't care how you feel. They want you to tell what you have seen, experienced, or you heard, or what you know. A witness for Christ is someone who has experienced Christ and sharing what they know. Isn't that great? But the word witness in the Greek language, if we were to transliterate it and spell it out in English, it would be spelled M-A-R-T-U-S. We get our word martyr from this word. A martyr is one who may suffer for their faith. 
kind of interesting. Jesus said, when you get the Holy Spirit, you really got him. This may be the reason a lot of churches don't baptize people. People in the church don't have the Holy Spirit. When you got the Holy Spirit, you're going to be powerful. When you got the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to witness. You're going to witness to what God's done in your life. And you may even have to suffer and die for it. That scares people. Let's go back and talk about when he's coming again. I don't want to talk about this, right? Sure, because it's easy. How many of you can be a witness to bluebell ice cream? I could, I promise you. They put me on the stand, I could testify. It's good. It's real. It's effective. (laughs) Because I've experienced it. Listen, if you've experienced Christ, you should be sharing people, uh, sharing Christ. Now, look in verse 8. It's so neat. He says, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If you were going to outline the book of Acts, here's your outline. It's found here. Chapters 1 through 7 talk about Jerusalem. 8, 9, Samaria. 10 through 28 about reaching the rest of the world. I want to show you on a map what this looks like. Cindy, can you hand me my pointer? I left it down there, please. It's my carry also pointer. It's not there. Okay. Can you see Judea down in this bottom area? The Dead Sea is to the right of it. There is Jerusalem. Uh, then you have uh, Galilee, which is the other part of Palestine, the Jewish area. And then in between there is Samaria. So that's the areas Jesus is talking about here. And, and what, what do these areas represent? Jerusalem, for them, is their hometown. Jesus is saying to us, I want you to be a witness in your hometown. Where you are, well, I'm called to be a foreign missionary. That's awesome. But until you get to where you're going, maybe that'll be your new hometown. You're a witness for Christ. Christ where you are. Judea is the surrounding area. For us, that's, that's uh, North Louisiana. That's the Arklatex. That's our state. Uh, and, and Samaria is the people who aren't like us. That's our enemy. That's crossing the other side of the track, you might say. That's going to people who you're uncomfortable with. Isn't that neat? See, the gospel is not for one group. It's for everybody. And then he says to the end of the world. It's, it's possible they translated that to mean as far as Rome because Rome was 1,400 miles as, as the crow would fly back then, but he meant far more than, than Rome. He meant literally to the ends of the world. Isn't that great? Folks, Jesus gave them and us a target. Jesus' last words were, don't spend a lot of time chasing rabbits. Go and help people find the Christ you have found. It starts right where you are. You're a missionary, a minister right where you are. And then as you go throughout the world, some of us are called to go to different places. Go to Judea, your surrounding areas. Go to Samaria, where people you have considered your enemies in your past. Go to the whole world. You see, we have a target. This is the purpose of the church right here. Do you know that? This is the primary purpose of the church, Jesus' last words. See, here's why we like rabbits. Rabbits are intriguing. They're complex We can debate about the end of times or what did Ezekiel mean in this or what does Daniel mean. And and it's complex and it's interesting. And when we leave the meeting, it doesn't make us do one thing differently, does it? But then we talk about that we're called to go reach the world for Jesus Christ. That's simple. Ah, We've heard that before. It's just hard as all get out. So we would rather go sit and talk about something complex that doesn't require anything much from us versus dig into something simple that's hard, but that's what Jesus has told us to do. 
And remember, I want to tell you this evening, our church is going to be passionate about reaching the world. We, we have been and we're always going to be, but we can never forget it starts in Jerusalem. I had a lady tell me one of my first churches, she said, Chris, the ripples will go out bigger if we drop a big rock here. You know what she was saying? It was, it was, it was simple, but it was so true. We want, we want to affect the world. We need to make a big splash in Ruston, in Ruston. There was a man named Oswald Smith who said this too. He said, the light that shines farthest shines brightest at home. You get that? You see, folks, we need to be committed to the Great Commission. Jesus' final words, last words he said. But how dare us be interested in reaching the far corners of the world when we're not interested in reaching Ruston? How do you think it's going to fare for you and me when we stand before God and we say, well, yeah, we promoted, we were promoted a, a mission cause in Asia, which is great. We just didn't tell our family about Christ. We didn't invite our neighbor to Jesus. We didn't invite our neighbor to church. Jesus' last words are meaningful, wonderful, powerful. Don't chase rabbits. Chase people for Jesus. Isn't that good? I think it is, and it is good. And let me give you another thought in this final act of Christ. Jesus left the earth in a special way, spectacular way for important reasons. Jesus just gave his final words. Now Jesus is fixing to leave the earth, and he does it in a very interesting but significant way. We call this the ascension of Christ. Here's the first thing. He is physically now in heaven. He was on earth for 33 years. He was showing them and he's showing us. He's in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Look in verse 9. After saying this, after telling these final words, don't chase rabbits, be my witnesses throughout the world. Look in verse 9. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. We have a picture of the Mount of Olives, and it's a, a beautiful picture there. That is the Mount of Olives. If you were standing in Jerusalem looking toward that, and that's where Jesus uh, spent a lot of time up in there, and that's where he went back to, to heaven from there. Why, why did this happen like this? Uh, it happened like this, for we're going to see, for a couple reasons, but here's one. This was 40 days after Jesus' death and resurrection. And at least nine to, or 10 to 11 times that we have recorded in the Bible, he appeared to them physically. He, they touched him. They, they talked to him. He ate with them. And, and he would be with them for a while, and then he would not be with them for a while. They, they had to see something concrete that they knew this is it. This is the last time. They, they, think about the horror it would have been if they would have spent the rest of their life wondering, is he coming back to be with us right now? Is he going to show up in the room? But this was a, a, a way Jesus put an exclamation point on on his ministry here. They had to be very sad. I would think they were very sad. But it was also a highlight because Jesus said, unless I go away, the Spirit won't come. What does that mean for us? Now, as strange as this may sound, when Jesus was on earth, he was bound by his humanity. He could only be in one place at one time. Someone said when Jesus ascended back to heaven, he took his physical presence from us to give us his omnipresence 
to give us the Holy Spirit who is fixing to come. The Holy Spirit is God. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is one exactly like me, and he's going to come and live with you. Folks, Jesus could only be in one place, but the Holy Spirit was fixing to come, and he was going to be everywhere. Isn't that great? So he was showing the people, I'm going back to heaven. But in that, he was also letting them know and letting us know, although physically he's not here, the Spirit of God, his Spirit is with us and with us in this room tonight, unlike that he couldn't be when he was here physically. Here's another thing about that happened right here when he left earth. The guys were reminded again, be about the mission. Verse 9 through 11, it says, after saying this, he was taken up in a cloud. They were watching. They could no longer see him. They strained to see him rising into heaven. Wouldn't you have been doing that too? And and two men in white robes suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him. You know, I think it's interesting. These uh, 11 guys, these men are staring, the people are staring, and the angels show up. I imagine if I'd have been one of them, I'd been doing the same thing, looking. And they kept looking, and they kept looking. I guess whoever had the best eyesight, I just saw him a minute ago. I think he's gone now. And they did what you and I would have done. They just stood there. And we don't know how much time went by. It must have been a good amount of time. Finally, the angel said, guys, he's gone. Quit, get, quit looking up into heaven. You've got a mission to be about. I know there's some in this room have been to the Mount of Olives. We got to go several years ago, and it's beautiful. It's wonderful. But you know what? If, if you were to spend the rest of your life going every day to the, up the Mount of Olives and to be sitting and looking up in the, uh, in the sky, that'd be, that'd be okay. You'd get a crick in your neck, and you wouldn't solve very much eventually. And it's like the angels showed up, and they just had to remind them again, guys, don't be distracted from the mission. How many of you get easily distracted? We, you know, we live in a distracted world, don't we? The phone, the phone goes off, the email goes off on your computer. Uh, we, we are such a digital, so visual that, that we're so easily distracted. And I think this was a reminder of them and to us to keep your eye on the mission, guys. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Let me give you one other thing about this ascension here. It reminds us he's literally coming again. You see, the way Jesus left, we don't talk about that much. We don't talk about it hardly at all. We talk about the death, which we should, the resurrection, which we should, the second coming, which we should. We don't talk about the ascension. But look what he tells us. One thing about the ascension in verse 11. Men of Galilee, the the, the angel said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return in the same way that you saw him go. You notice it said men of Galilee, and that doesn't mean a thing to you probably, but it was significant. Eleven out of the twelve disciples, original twelve, were from Galilee. And to be from Galilee, the people in Jerusalem and Judea kind of looked down on that because the people in Galilee, there was more Gentiles. It was less kosher. They couldn't come to the temple much. Uh, isn't it funny how Jesus would pick the people who other people would kind of look down on? Guess who the one who was not from uh, Galilee? That was Judas. Uh, th- that's that's an interesting thought. A little chase of rabbit there for you. But here's what they said. The, the, the angel said, 
Hey, you saw how Jesus literally and physically, supernaturally ascended to heaven? You saw that? Guess what, guys? He is going to literally and physically, visibly come back from heaven to earth someday. We don't speculate on the date, but we know he's coming again. That, I don't know if that encourages you or not. I can't read you at all tonight. But that had to fire them up. How's Jesus coming back? When's it going to happen? Listen, there is a thousand theories. I'm going to share a few with you this evening. There is pre-tribulation, premillennial. There is mid-tribulation, premillennial. There is post-tribulation, premillennial. You getting bored already? There is post-millennialism. There is all-millennialism, and I have a view, but here's my ultimate view. I'm a pan-millennialist. I believe it's going to all pan out in the end. (laughs) And here's the bottom line. Here's the joy. Here's the victory that this passage teaches us, that Jesus Christ, who's sitting at the right hand of God right now, the Father, is someday going to leave heaven And just like he left earth physically and went up, someday he is leaving heaven and coming back for you and me who belong to him. Isn't that awesome? And it motivated those guys. It motivated them to go change the world in the next chapter that we're going to see. I want to tell you this evening, the last act of Jesus' life ought to motivate us too. And if nothing else, thinking about the the second coming and what that means and what that means for you and me. Let me ask you this evening, are you ready for that? You belong to Christ? If you don't, when we stand in a moment, leave your seat and come and talk to one of our ministers. Cross that line with Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and and you'd like to join our church. You can do it after church or you can come and join us in a moment. Let me tell you a couple of things. We're a church that believes Jesus is literally coming back. And we believe our job is to tell as many people about him as we can until he does. If that's what you want to join, be a part of, come and join us tonight. Christian, let me ask you a question. If you're really saved, you have settled the eternal issue. But, you know, the Bible says we're going to be judged too. (laughs) Let me ask you tonight, if if Jesus came back, Christian, or or if you died tonight, are you ready to stand before God? Are are you ready to give an account to God for how you've lived, how you've shared your faith? Have you been a rabbit chaser, or have you been a people chaser? Christian, maybe where you're standing or at the altar, you and I need to do some business with God tonight and get our hearts back where they once were and where they need to be. Let's stand as God leads you. You come. We'll be waiting on you.